still don't know what I'm going to say for your intro, but I'm going to wing it. Today, Entrepreneur House listeners, we are privileged to have George Millo on our show. George has been working online for four years. He's 25 years old and been a digital nomad that entire time. He's lived in Vietnam, then went to Berlin, Thailand, Bali, England, and Barcelona. He's visited over 42 countries total. George is a personal growth hacker, a language learner, and professional web developer. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about his travels, how to be a professional digital nomad, and how to master your personal growth goals. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Welcome, George. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So, my friend, you and I met about two years ago. Yeah, about two years ago already in Barcelona when you were traveling through the city. And we've got to know know each other quite a bit. Now, the reason I wanted to have you on the show, George, is because you really started traveling the world at a young age and you're not even 26 yet and you've hit 42 different countries and you know I know there's a lot of students or young people out there in the early 20s that really want to go travel the world and make this happen for themselves so can you just share a bit about your story how you made it happen and and what it's kind of involved into yeah, or? I should say, um, I mean, I think I've been to 41, 42 countries, uh, something like that. I mean, like quite a few of those were, you know, I'm from England, so um, it's pretty, unlike the US, it's pretty easy to visit other countries, you know, it's not a, not a short, it's not, not a long distance from here. So I think, I mean, I've been to quite a few with my family just growing up, you know, we just go on holiday and go vacation, as you would say, every, every year or so and mm-hmm. you know, go to different places in Western Europe. So that got the total up, like... I don't, I don't know the exact number, but you know, I've been to a few, quite a few countries by the time I was 18. But yeah, I mean, um, in the last four years, coming up to four years, so it's February 2013 that I left the UK, um, you know, for Vietnam. I just dropped out of university to accept a job offer from a company, an American company based in Vietnam. And you know, since then, you know, I've been back to the UK many times, but I mean, um, been moving around a lot. I, I couldn't tell you off the top of the head how many countries I've how many countries I've been to in the last four years, but it's quite a few. I mean, some brief visits, some, for, you know, longer, much longer stays, such as such as Barcelona, which is where we met and where I've spent a good chunk of the last year and a half. I mean, I'm not there anymore, but yeah, Barcelona was great fun. Excellent. So what has that evolved? What has that been like for you to, to leave, you know, start traveling at, at 21 and going to different places? In, in different places around the world, what was it like for you? Um, I, mean, I was I was 22. I was just after my 22nd birthday. I moved to Vietnam. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Looking back, you know, I mean, like it's hard to kind of get back into the mindset. Uh, you know, really kind of get into my head where I was back then. I mean, I've obviously changed a lot since then. Yeah, I think um, it wasn't the first time I'd been to Southeast Asia. Moving to Vietnam, I'd been to Thailand for um, my summer break from uni one year, six weeks. Although I did like most student british students who go to thailand in the summer i did nothing but drink for six weeks so um (laughs) going back to southeast asia for a job was a different experience um yeah i mean it's always obviously there's a bit of culture shock you know it's such a um you know i went went to ho chi Minh city I'm, i'm from i mean i'm here now i'm recording this from my parents house in you know rural middle england very very calm, serene kind of place. You know, you go into Vietnam, going to Ho Chi Minh City. It's just so huge and bustling and dirty and noisy. It's a, <laughs> it's a very, uh, you know, it's just the polar opposite kind of lifestyle. So yeah, it, it takes some adjusting, but I think I adjusted pretty quickly. And I mean, not only is just it, 
the city different, but you know, it's a huge cultural difference. I mean, you know, it's it's Asian. You know, everyone is speaking this funny language you can barely understand, and oh, you know, it's it's an, it's it, it's weird. You know, it's the, one of the first times in my life just like not looking like everybody else, being in the minority, and also in Southeast Asia, um, it's it's a straight. You know, because the, all, the, all the foreigners there, you know, yeah, we're, you're much more economically better off than most of the locals. So there's somewhat of a divide between. You know, I definitely had you know local friends and whatnot, but there's always that kind of divide between the um, the locals and the foreigners, which is, you know, it's this kind of strange cultural divide. It's yeah, it's just a it's a weird experience on the whole. But yeah, I mean, I got a huge amount out of it. I definitely enjoyed my time there. What has been your favorite country to visit? Um, to visit, I don't know. I think probably Spain. Well, yeah, I mean, I I loved Catalonia. Barcelona. I had a really good time in the US um, earlier this year. I was there for like three weeks. I, that may have been, I don't know if that was my number one favorite, but it was, I definitely enjoyed it a lot. I mean, that's the first, I've only been to the US a few times, three times in my life. And this, this time was the most recent. It was the first in 10 years. So, I mean, last time I went was with my family, like when I was a teenager. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love the US. And I've got most of my American friends complain about the U.S. and they say, "I mean, this, my American friends are the ones who don't live in the U.S. They've left." <laughs> yeah, they'll talk about how much it sucks. But yeah, I had a great time there. Yeah, it, it's funny. You've learned how many languages have you started to learn since you've been traveling? So I started to learn. I mean, there's quite a few languages I've dabbled in, but never really got any good at. I mean, I could have it these days. I could have a. I mean, I speak Spanish. I wouldn't say I'm totally fluent, but I think the language I speak best is Spanish. can hold my own in French as well, a little bit of German. Uh, I'm getting better at Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, and I also learned some Vietnamese while I was there. I was never particularly good at it, but I mean, in turn, I mean, almost no one in Vietnam, almost no foreigner in Vietnam learns any Vietnamese whatsoever. So if you can count to 10, you know, all the locals think you're a genius. So yeah, I got to like lower intermediate level, which I'm really glad I did. It was really... You know, it was really, really changed my experience there. I'm really glad I, I did learn it and put the effort in, even though, and honestly, these days I've forgotten most of it. But I'm sure it's, you know, it's buried in my head somewhere. I could get back, I could get it back pretty easily. And, and how do you learn languages? Like, how do you pick them up so quick, George? Well, um, I've, I've really, I'm, I'm really into language learning. I have been for a few years. Um, even before I went to Vietnam, which I think Vietnam was the first one. Vietnamese was. I did French for a long time in school as well, and I, you know, I was always pretty good at it. But I think, yeah, and it's also something where like my technique in language learning has has evolved. The more I do it, you know, I'm always learning more about kind of how the brain, how the brain learn, how the language learning brain works, how languages work, and you know, it's a, it's something you get better at every time. I think, um, I mean, most of the advice I can give it would just be repeated from some other sources including some mutual friends of ours but i think um i mean i think it's pretty clear to anyone with a brain that just the way we learn languages in school is radically broken uh, you know i mean mm-hmm. most people in the uk for example do french in school for five to ten years and they come out at the end like barely able to string a sentence together so and you know barely can barely say a single sentence that french people can understand and even if they do learn french they'll be saying it with this horrible accent you know like <laughs> oh bonjour je suis george Angleterre but um yeah so I think something that definitely people don't isn't focused on enough in the way we learn languages in the kind of traditional way is pronunciation I mean it's almost not focused on at all it's kind of tacked on as an afterthought but I'm very big on um not that I speak any of the languages I speak with a perfect accent but you know I get compliments on my accent quite a lot 
some languages more than other more than others and on a very few occasions i've been mistaken for a native speaker but i've never really no, only uh, not only really for the first sentence or two and then i and i you know I, I lose it but um yeah definitely focus on pronunciation a lot and at the beginning i think this is the advice that you know you know adousa don't you yeah this is um Edouce's stuff is great. I highly recommend it. I mean, anything I'm any pronunciation advice I can give now is probably just be uh, repeated from him. I mean, I should um say that's our, our mutual friend Edouceness. Edouce is hard to spell, but I think his website is mimicmethod.com or themimicmethod.com. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, there's a great book which I really like. Honestly, I'd say um if you only read one thing on language learning, make it this. It's um. Fluent Forever is the name of the book, and that's by a guy called Gabriel Weiner. Weiner is spelled W-Y-N-E-R, I think. Um, yeah, that's a really, really original. Really, lots of advice in there that I'd never heard anywhere else. It's all about just um, his language learning technique, the authors, and um, you know, like I, lots of just stuff you've never heard before about um, pronunciation and phonemes and how the brain, you know, what the, what the latest research tells us about kind of the way the brain picks up languages as a child and as an adult. It's a fantastic book. And I mean, as long as I'm mentioning resources, I've got to mention um, Benny Lewis, fluentin3months.com. I don't really read that a huge amount anymore, but I used to read it a, a, a lot when I, that, that, that's the, what really first got me into language learning, I should say, reading Benny Lewis's stuff. Um, Benny Lewis, he's an Irish guy who speaks something like 11 or 12 languages. He's just a language learning machine. And yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff online. So yeah, I, I highly recommend him. So you work a so, lot on your own personal growth, George, and, and making goals and achieving them. Do you have like a goal system mapped out for yourself or how do you go after your own personal goals and hold yourself accountable? Um, I don't know if I've got a really highly refined goal setting system. I mean, I do set goals every now and then. And, I, and this is definitely something I'm, and, uh, that I'm always working on it and trying to improve. I think, um, you know, you've got to, I don't think there's one hard and fast goal setting system that works for everybody i think you've got to just see what works for you and what doesn't and i think um really for me i find um more important than me for goals is just the lower level stuff like habits i find uh, you know i think um there's a uh, just certain key habits that when i am doing those things or i'm not doing those things everything else just seems to fall into place and fall apart so i think yeah as long keep the focus on the, uh, yeah, that's what works for me most of the time is just keeping the focus on those lower level things. And I find everything else just seems to fall together pretty smoothly. And to answer your next question, I think the main lower level things are, I mean, obviously one is just staying healthy. I mean, exercising when I'm getting that down, just everything else seems to fall into place. And there's also the kind of flip side of that is not drinking too much and uh, related other things that are related to health that I should not be doing as opposed to be doing more. Mm -hmm. Um, just reading a lot, I think, is the other thing. It's almost like exercise, but for the brain. I mean, I've always been a huge reader, um, mainly nonfiction. And, you know, I, find, I just love learning about anything and everything I can get my hands on, not just personal growth, not just stuff that's directly related to personal growth, although there's some great books to be had there. But, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I just want to always be taking in new ideas, always want to be learning. And, yeah, I think uh, those are the two main things. As long as I've got those down, just staying healthy and continuing to read and continuing to learn then everything else just seems to fall into place i think 
So I think it's worth mentioning, George, that, that when I was in Barcelona with you last, that you uh, wanted to create or write eight new songs. Oh, no, I was hoping you'd forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the methods you use to to be held accountable. Shall I, shall I tell them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, so I'm a guitarist. I've been playing, I'm really into music. I've been playing guitar since I was a little kid and other instruments as well as mainly guitar. And I've always like been a little bit into songwriting. Um, I'm not much of a singer. I, I took some singing lessons when I was in Barcelona, actually, which I, I think I... I improved quite a lot in the time I was taking them, which is worth doing. Yeah, but I've always um, been writing some songs here and there, never been taking it too seriously. And so um, there was a point earlier this year when we were in Barcelona when I decided, okay, now is the time I'm going to like knuckle down and like actually write some songs. And so I told Chris that I was going to write, I think I said I would write eight songs and record them and publish them. And, you know, the motivation for me to do this, if I failed, I, we set a deadline. What was the deadline? It was like November the 1st mm-hmm. or October the 1st. I think it was October. I mean, as you can probably tell from my tone of voice, I mean, we were recording this <laughs> on December the 6th. I haven't done it. But uh, I think I, I, I wrote three or four. I didn't, you know, you know what? I tried recording them. I recorded like the music for, for them and then I recorded myself singing and I thought, oh God, I can't publish this. This sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my forfeit, which I think I'm going to have to pay is i don't know it's not really relevant anymore but i i said that if i failed i would have to donate a thousand did i say pounds or dollars i'd have to donate a thousand dollars to the presidential campaign of donald trump Uh, (laughs) thankfully thankfully i didn't i didn't make that donation because then i would feel partly responsible for his victory uh, (laughs) for the sake of integrity i think i am going to have to part with some money i mean even if if we were recording this before november the 8th i don't think i could have brought myself to donate the money to donald trump but yeah if you can think of a if you can think of a worthy cause i will i will part with the money because i made i made the promise so yeah george there's actually a a charity here that Paul Levine and myself have found that handles uh, boys that are that are in prostitution in Chiang Mai, and there's no yeah, and so there's there's no place for like there's charities set up that take care of the the females that are uh, in the prostitution ring, but there's no charities that take care of the, oh, yeah, the I males. Can, and I can imagine that actually, yeah, I mean, I'm may, yeah, young boys in prostitution. I can imagine that's a problem that doesn't get. I mean, I'm sure there's less of them than young girls, but yeah, that's, I can imagine that's a problem that yeah, and it's gets, a, often gets overlooked. It's a young woman, I think, and well, I don't think she's even 30 yet that runs it. Paul's gotten to know her, and and some of the other guys have gotten to know her, and and her charity is actually really cool, and kind of the thing she's doing. So there's a noble charity. Okay, for there you, you go. We're going to publish this, so the world is going to hear my 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 promise. I'm going to donate the money I said I would donate to Donald. You know, I, I failed in my. I failed in my goal, and I've got I've got to pay the forfeit. So yeah, go to that charity. Thanks for holding yourself accountable. Well, that's a good point, though. By the by the way, like um, when I told you, you may remember. I don't know if you were there for this, but after I told you, I made that promise to you. Obviously, you kind of told our mutual friends about it, and then AJ, our mutual friend AJ, who I work with, for about two weeks afterwards, he was telling everybody, you know, we'd be out somewhere, and he'd he'd he'd, he'd tell people this story by saying oh so have you heard george is thinking of donating money to donald trump <laughs> ah, God damn it, AJ. <laughs> give them some context <laughs> but that's that's a great way to really hold yourself accountable because when we had the entrepreneur house this time i actually made uh, a goal and the, the the penalty for not achieving that goal was shaving my head 
And I, I don't know, you, you've never seen me with my head shaved, but I look like a little worm. And I would, I would look in the mirror. I should tell the listeners that we, we, just before we were on this call, we had a video chat and I can confirm that Chris still has a head of hair. <laughs> I still have a head of hair and I actually finished my goal. But during the month of the house down here, like I would look in the mirror and I would run my hands through my hair and I'm like, I can't shave my, I can't shave my head. I've got to get to work. And so it, it really motivated me. And so when you, I had a friend, um, Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, no, I was just going to say when you when you set a goal, if you have a penalty like you know donate a thousand dollars to a charity you don't support, or shave your head, or something like this, it really motivates you, and and you got to tell your friends about it too because they're definitely going to hold you accountable. Also, yeah, I had a friend back in uni who was um, studying a PhD, and he. Uh, so he was he was writing his PhD thesis, which, as you can imagine, was stressing him out a lot and taking up a lot of his time. And so he saw that he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna shave until he finished his <laughs> PhD until he, he handed in his thesis. Mm-hmm. And so of course he had this big like you know, his beard got pretty scraggly, and you know he was always complaining about how itchy it was. He's like, oh my god, I've got to get rid of this beard. I've got to finish the thesis. So that motivated him. But yeah, to go um go back to what you were saying, and to go back to what I was saying about um just different goal setting strategies and what works for different people. I think you've got to, this just ties into what I was saying about you've got to find what works for you. I mean, in this case, yeah. it didn't work for me, so I don't know how how much I can evangelize. But yeah, I mean, I've done things like that quite quite a few times in the past, like setting forfeits, and I find. I mean, this is maybe just my personality, but I find that just motivates me more. Like, you know, it's, this is, um, you know, there may be other strategies. They, people say, some people say, oh, you should just tell people your goals. That'll, um, that'll, you know, you, that'll be accountability in itself, you know, if everybody knows what you're working on. But actually, um, a lot of people are saying now, Derek Sivers, he's got a famous TED talk about this. There's research that suggests, I don't know if it suggests or if it conclusively shows that actually telling people about your plans and goals makes you less likely to achieve them so the theory is that um uh, it's along the lines of you know telling telling people if your goal is i don't know i'm going to lose 10 pounds mm-hmm. if you tell people that goal then you know the act of telling people it kind of it it almost it kind of triggers the it makes you imagine it triggers the reward centers in your brain you know it feels like you've already done it and so that actually reduces your motivation to, to work on that goal. And so what Derek Sivers says in that TED talk, and he's got a blog post about it as well, as well is um, really like, it's okay. If you, are, if you do want to talk to the people around you, to your friends about what you're working on, what your goals are, you know, you've got to phrase it in the right way. You've got to say, oh yeah, I want to achieve this, so kick my ass if I don't, you know, like, and yeah. you know, the ultimate way of doing that is to, you know, have some kind of forfeit. Yeah, and I mean, someone else, I think it was Eben Pagan, the way he put it, as you said, you, you've got to make the thing that you make, make, make failure more painful make make failure more painful than success so you know then it's going to be easy if, if the thing that you if not achieving what you want to do is going to be much more painful than kind of the pain required to put in the effort and actually do it then you can't you can't not, not succeed maybe i just don't hate donald trump enough maybe that's just why i, I, I didn't find the motivation <laughs> so yeah cool what are some other big goals that you've done that for george like set up a, a penalty and a reward system for going after those oh, i can't remember i definitely haven't done anything in the past where the forfeit was that big i actually um did something else this year with another friend who wasn't in barcelona i was doing something like that um i was wanted to, wanted to be writing every day um yeah i mean i don't know a little bit of writing i've published some stuff online and at this point i should do some shameless self-promotion and say you should go to georgemillow.com which is my blog i barely update but 
not everything I write is on there. Some some stuff I publish elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I've always been into writing in the same way. I've always been into music, and I wanted to do more of that. And I've kept that up pretty well. I mean, I try to write every day for a short amount of time. You just keep the yeah, you got to keep the habit. So yeah, I set that up with a friend. I had a forfeit if I didn't do it, and I I met that. Um, uh, I can't remember. I remember years ago, like when I was applying to university, when I was eighteen, I did a similar thing with my 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 mum. You know, I've got you got to write your personal statement, which I think you know your little generic thing that everyone writes. Oh, I'm interested in this subject because X and Y. And of course, I was procrastinating on that like crazy, and so I went and I took fifty pounds out of the bank, which obviously when you're eighteen is like a huge amount of money. And right. I gave that I gave it to my mum, and I said, um, you know, I'm gonna submit my university application by friday or else you give this back to you don't give this back to me or something like that and then i submitted it so yeah that was maybe one of the first times i did that and that kind of made me realize hey that worked you should have given me the thousand dollars give it to you yeah and then i would have held on to it until uh you got your give it to donald trump (laughs) (laughs) well well at the date i would have donated it to donald trump but uh of course it's the physical act of luckily luckily we found out that he didn't need it so (laughs) (laughs) um well i think that's a good leeway into the entrepreneur house and so we met in barcelona and you came to the entrepreneur house summer of 2015 and what was the difference in staying in the entrepreneur house compared to traveling the world kind of on your own and being a digital nomad oh yeah i mean it was just what i needed at the time um I left Vietnam. I left Vietnam kind of in the middle of 2014. Um, yeah, I think June 2014, and then almost exactly a year later, I arrived in Barcelona. And the time in between that, I was really flitting around quite a lot. It was very, very much living this sort of nomadic lifestyle. I spent I was in Thailand, Germany, um, back, back to England, like a whole bunch of times. But yeah, um, where else did I go? Yeah, I went up like the Baltics, like Lithuania, Latvia. Um, yeah, I was getting pretty sick of that, to be honest. Um, I mean, it was fun, but I've got, you know, you and I, we've got friends who have been doing that for years and years. You know, they just spend like a month in each, or two months in each place. And I mean, fair play to them, but I don't know how they do it. I mean, there's definitely advantages to staying in a place, in one place for a long time. And, you know, I think some places, if I, some places I left after like a month, you know, I felt like I'd only just got there. Mm-hmm. I'd only just got there. But yeah, I mean, also, and it, you know, it's tough because, you know, every place you go, a lot of places like I didn't know anybody. And so you've got to try and make some friends, which obviously takes time. But yeah, the entrepreneur house was ex- just what I was looking for. I mean, as you know, I originally I came down, I just I was in Barcelona, what was it, like March or April of uh, 2015? Yeah. Because I, I was living in Berlin at the time. I was getting pretty bored of Berlin. Um, and I went down to Barcelona for a conference, actually. And I, I intended to just go for the weekend, and then I mean, I, I knew about the Entrepreneur House because um, you know through the Dynamite Circle, which we were both in, uh, web forum. I mean, we hadn't met at the time, but I, I knew who you were from your kind of post in that forum, and I saw it you posting. So I, I think I messaged you, or maybe even you messaged me. I don't remember. I just said, "Hey, can I come check out the Entrepreneur House?" And mm-hmm. he said, "Yeah." And I think you guys had just moved in. Yeah, like some people weren't even there yet, so there was a spare room, and so I ended up you know, like moved my flight back a week I spent a week in Barcelona and I yeah I was very as many people become I was very enamored with Barcelona you know it's just an amazing city I loved it and so um, I thought I went back to Berlin and I thought oh I've got to get myself back to Barcelona um, <laughs> and then yeah so your first kind of round of the entrepreneur house which is the first ever I believe ended 
and you know you were doing a second one and I thought yeah well actually that's a perfect opportunity like it's been the summer in Barcelona I mean I stayed with it it's just a great vibe I love I thought that's just just what I need you know to um be living with you know people who have kind of same goals and lifestyles and mindsets as I do yeah we're all yeah. Um, working on goals together and uh, you know, helping each other out that's the other thing I really needed because you know I work from home I work online and yeah, it's just great. Lots of advantages, but it really drives me insane sometimes when I'm just at home by myself all day. And, and yeah, it's very not, just very good to be living with or around other other people who other people who are also doing that. You know, just to have people around and you know people you can talk to and some social interaction helps me from helps prevent me going insane or working at home <laughs> all day. It's nice. Yeah. I think it was definitely a very, very good decision going to Barcelona to join the Entrepreneur House. It was just what I needed. I highly recommend it. Are you doing another one in Barcelona? Yeah, for 2017, actually, we have a bit of a different structure. What we're going to do is actually have three-day events, 10-day events, and then the 30-day Entrepreneur House. And right. we're going to have Focus 55s in different cities all around the world. I think we have Rio, Austin, Barcelona, Bangkok planned for for. Um, 2017 and then we're going to do two 10-day business breakthrough experiences which is essentially kind of like a focus 55 um, even more intense than a focus 55 for 10 days and we're actually going to um, work on uh, goal setting during that time but transparency where everybody sees each other's financial numbers and helps each other out um, but also you know makes a commitment to not share their financials outside of the, the workshop and then everybody that's there is going to use their specialty to grow the other people's business. So, for example, like your web developer, if you were there, you would work on somebody else's website, right? And if if I, you know, I'm a sales and marketing guy, and so if you know, for whatever business you had, I would work on the sales and marketing side. And then, say another person was there as an SEO guy, he would work on everybody's SEO stuff. And then that way, we get literally thousands of dollars of consulting done in just a few short days um, for everybody's business. So it's going to be a really cool experience and um, I'm excited for it. We're, it's actually called the Entrepreneur House 2.0 for 2017. And then we'll do um, a 30-day Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai next fall. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's so, it. Go sounds ahead. awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just saying it sounds, sounds cool. I think I'll be endeavoring to make it to one of those yeah i'm in the right part of the world well you're definitely welcome my friend in the entrepreneur house when you came we kind of implemented some of the things that we've talked about because we did goal setting while we're at we were at the house in barcelona and we did some masterminding how were the the masterminds and and goal setting sessions for you yeah yeah i think um they're definitely valuable i mean I, masterminds are definitely a valuable thing actually when i was back at uni um in my last year the year I ended up dropping out in, but that's another story. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I managed to. I formed a mastermind group with, um, I think, there were five of us, four, four friends of mine, um, mm -hmm. where we'd meet every week or you know, for. We kept it up for a few months. That was a hugely valuable thing. Just like getting a bunch of smart people together who are all kind of interested in, in each other's affairs and willing to help each other out and give you feedback. And yeah, the um. So that was my first kind of, obviously I'd heard the, con in fact it was my idea, the one at uni, I was the guy who put it together, so I'd, I'd heard the concept before, and yeah, it was a very valuable thing, doing it even at uni. Um, we, wouldn't, you know, we weren't just talking about our studies and whatnot, we were all working on other projects as well. 
Uh, yeah, I think um, doing it in the in Barcelona was definitely valuable as well. Um, the whole concept of a mastermind is definitely, I, I mean, I really, as I say this, I think hmm, I should try and form one again now. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not in a mastermind group at the moment, but yeah, they're definitely worth doing. George, something else I wanted to mention or talk about is tell us what keeps you motivated. Um, well, I don't know if I'm. I've got nothing immediately comes to mind as you know, like a hard and fast technique that I you know do regularly. I think. Um, I generally do pretty well at staying motivated. I've got my upswings and my downswings. One thing that I think um, definitely I don't always manage to keep the, to do it regularly, but it, it does help is um, I've got this I got this idea from Sebastian Marshall, who's a blogger and an author. Um, you might know you might know Sebastian. I don't know. I don't. Definitely, you and I definitely have mutual friends with him. But um, he he writes a lot about. He's got a great book called Ikigai, and he's got some other books that I haven't read. I, I might be pronouncing the name of that book wrong, but Sebastian Marshall is his name. Is his name, and he talks a lot about tracking and um, mm -hmm. you know, just keeping notes on what you're actually doing. What you, you know, you got to. It's not enough to just try different techniques. You've got to figure out what's actually working and what's not. And you got to look at the data, and sometimes you'll find like you'll track things like what time you're waking up, what you're eating, what time you're going to bed, and you might spot patterns that you otherwise wouldn't have noticed. And so I've got um, I've got a Google spreadsheet that I, it's just called, it's just called Habits and Goals, and uh -huh. it's got different, it's got different um, kind of, I don't know what you call them, you know, there's the sub-sheets or whatever, and then I've got like, you know, there's a tab, I guess tab, it's not where there's like a tab, like week, yearly goals, monthly goals, weekly goals, um, and then daily MITs, most important tasks, and then habits. And so, yeah, I think yearly goals, monthly goals, weekly goals, they're pretty self-explanatory. And then the daily ones, I will, you know, I'll look at, you know, what, what I do. I try to do most mornings. I don't always do it properly, but, you know, I'll look at all my things one by one. I'll look at my yearly goals, you know, remind myself of them. I'll look at my monthly goals and I'll think, okay, well, do these monthly goals make sense? Are they going to bring me closer towards my yearly goals? Then I'll look at the weekly goals and I'll think the same thing. Do these bring me closer towards my monthly goals? And then based on my weekly goals, I'll set myself an MIT for the day, or one or two MITs. So it's like, if I only get one thing done today, it's going to bring me closer towards these goals. What's it going to be? Mm -hmm. so I pick one from that list. And ideally, I should get working on that for that one. That should be the first thing I do. You know, there's, you know, it's not always, I can't always manage that because there's maybe there's something more urgent or maybe I just procrastinate because the MIT is the one that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I try to fight those urges. Um, and then I've got another sheet called habits where it's, you know, it's just simple, you know, all the, all the columns, or, or sorry, I should say all the rows are dates, you know, every day has got a new row and then all the columns is just, I keep a little note of things like what time did I get up? Um, you know, little things that I, most of them, it's just like, yes or no, did I do this today or did I not? And some of the things like for one, one example is like social media and like, did I, I want to not go on Facebook. Okay. So if I went on Facebook today, that's a failure. I kind of think, Oh, you know, I should get the sheet in front of me. I should tell you what else I've got. Um, yeah, I'll try to write every day. Say how long did I write for? Just little, little, you know, little things like that. And I think the key to it, the thing that I found with a system like this and with anything else, any kind of habit building, is you can't you can't let just like design a really complicated one up front. First of all, because like your 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 theories for like what will motivate you. You, you may, they may turn out to be wrong. You don't want to design some hugely complicated system only to find it doesn't really work for you. And also, you've got to, um, you know, you can't expect to just like, it's a quite, quite a complicated habit using something like this. And so you can't expect to be able to just jump straight into it and be able to keep up the habit like that. So yeah, you've got to, 
start simple and you know slowly build up as you figure out what works for you. But that's one example of something that I do. Oh, that's absolutely excellent, man. So I have another question, a travel question for you, George. Um, you've done a lot of travel adventures. You know, you've been running in the bulls in Spain, Woodstocks in Poland, Koh Rong in Cambodia, Island Hop to Thailand, you know, uh, Berlin for the World Cup, motorcycle across Vietnam, surfing in Bali, and I think the list goes on and on. But, but which has been, I don't know if you're, I would say your favorite, but your most impactful. Hmm, it's a good question. Um, wow, you just made my life sound so cool. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, I think the thing that really does it for me, the thing that I just, the thing that kind of stick out in my memory is just being really, I don't know, impact, impactful in terms of like, changing my behavior afterwards, but it just been really peak experiences for me. I think I've been getting into nature. Um, yeah, that's just something that always wows me. You know, I'm from like, I'm not from, a I didn't grow up in a city, but still, I mean, I'm from the south of England. It's a very densely populated place. And, you know, there's just, there's very little like big rolling expanses of nature. You know, there's always evidence of human habitation. And so I've just been in some situations where I just really got out into the wilderness or what felt like the wilderness. And it was just amazing views, really breathtaking. I mean, that's just the, I mean, to give one example, I remember, um, uh, must have been two or three years ago now. I was in on the island of Koh Chang uh -huh. in Thailand, which is the second biggest island in Thailand, I believe. I was there in low season, so I'm um, like the entire eastern half of this island. All the resorts were closed because you know there's just not enough traffic, there's not enough people going there. And yeah. so me and these two guys from my hostel, we rented some motorbikes and we, you know, Dutch guy and a Polish guy, we drove around to the other side of the island, you know, where everything was closed, and um, it took us all day to drive there. And you know, we camped on this beach. And, you know, like it was just amazing. It was, I mean, we found this little cove, this kind of crescent-shaped beach where, you know, you'd sit on the beach and you'd look around. You couldn't see any buildings, you know. There was no evidence that humans were here at all. Mm -hmm. So we like, just made a campfire and put the tent. And at one point, like, um, the other guys went off to, a, like, I think they went off to buy some beer or something, find a shop. And they drove off. And I'm just I'm just left there, you know, trying to start a fire <laughs> like on, on, on this, like, tropical island. Where I, I I'm just in this little beach cove. I can't see any evidence of any other human, any human existence. And I thought, oh, you know, this is this must be what it's like to be stranded on, on like, a tropical island. You know, sort of. <laughs> Tom Hanks in Castaway is, uh -huh. <laughs> felt pretty cool. You know, it started to get a bit, it started to freak me out a bit after a while. I was pretty glad, I was pretty happy when eventually the other guys came back. You know, I was like, oh my God, I need to know, I need some people around. But yeah, that was very, very cool. So you didn't want to like spend three months on a deserted island all by yourself after that? Oh, never say never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. As long as, as long as there's Wi Fi. As long as. Yeah, you could do do something productive, I guess, for your for your business. Excellent, George. Anything else you want to tell the listeners before we sign off for the day? Um, I guess I'll just say where to find me. Um, I already plugged my blog. I'll do it again, georgemillo.com. Uh, Millo is spelled M-I-L-L-O. I uh, haven't posted anything on there in ages, but there's links to other stuff that I do. Um, and if you, yeah, Milo.me is my like other site. It's just about, you know, for my work. I'm a, I'm a web developer. I've barely talked about that in this interview, but I'm probably not that interesting to most people anyway. But yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> that's like my, that's my site where people can find me if they want to work with me. Um, that's about it. 
So if you guys have any questions about goal setting or accountability or achieving your life dreams um, before the age of 25 or even after the age of 25. I don't think I've achieved my life dreams yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> you got a pretty good list going so far, George, I think. Um, but yeah, feel free to reach out to him. And George, I want to thank you. I want to give you a big thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for coming to Barcelona to the Entrepreneur House. And thanks for being such a great friend. And Yeah, you too, man. Yeah, and we'll sign off from there. Thanks, listeners, for coming on the Thanks. show today. Bye. Bye, George. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for location-independent entrepreneurs. Imagine spending one month with other successful entrepreneurs building business in the world's most exotic locations. Day-to-day, -day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality about business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those staying in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. For those of you that are interested, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com website. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.